This is an SM Media production. Hi folks and welcome to the latest episode of Chronicle, the Rangers journey. I'm Scott McPike, it's an absolute pleasure to be your host as always. We are now at episode four, we are going to take a look at 1991 to 1995 when Walter Smith takes over from Graham Souness, builds his own team, a near miss with European greatness, signing one of the top players in European football and domestic dominance, plus also we will take a look at David Murray and how he handled the media to join me on this part of the journey. Well-renowned journalist and author, Ian King. Ian, it is an absolute pleasure to have your company for this episode. I really appreciate you coming on. Great to be on, Scott. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. We will start this part of the journey by going to the summer of 1991. Where are we in the journey? Graham Souness is at Liverpool. He had obviously left four games before the end of the last season. Walter Smith come in, Walter Smith wins the title, it was tight but it came down to the last day against Aberdeen and this summer Ian it's fair to say it is all about looking forward to the new potential rule, the three foreigner rule of 1991-92 comes into place, Walter Smith has to kind of rip the rip the revolution apart and obviously the, the market of going into England over the past few years that kind of has to stop at this stage doesn't it? Yeah, it did. And, uh, you know, I think when you look at um, that rule, obviously, is what brought Andy Gorham to Rangers. It's what brought Stuart McCall to Rangers. You know, lots of great signings. Uh, but but Scottish players were, were all of a sudden very important. Otherwise, I honestly don't think they would have moved Chris Woods on. Mm-hmm. Players like, like Spackman would hang around and stuff like that. But, uh, no, it's intriguing. You know, it's intriguing when you look at that. But he was also a very... He was a pragmatic guy, Walter, uh, and I think he looked upon the particularly the goalkeeping slot as a waste of a foreigner. You know, he wanted more cre- creativity. If he was only going to have three foreigners, then he wanted them further forward in the field. So uh, it's interesting now when you look at the makeup of the squad that made the Europa League final to think of the the restrictions that were on yeah. that were on Walter at that time. I mean, it's we're, we're at the stage in nineteen ninety one. Cultures changing, footballs changing. We're we're going into the. We'll talk a bit about the formation of the Champions League in a couple of minutes. But when you look at that transfer window, the the kind of ones that stick out, obviously Chris Woods and Mark Walters, two symbols of that soonest revolution. Obviously, Woods was one of the ones that kicked it off. But you're going into a Scottish market. Andy Gorham will touch on the goalie in a, a minute. I know you will we'll obviously talk about his whole career at, at the club. Chris selling Chris Woods for pretty much not even a loss and then bringing in Andy Gorham it's got to be up there one of the best bits of business friends I've ever done yeah it was you know and I think when you look at it like for a million quid uh, you know Gorham and Stuart McCall you know I think Stuart McCall was 1.2 you know you look at those two signings uh, terrific signings you know and um, I mean the goalie would only have whatever it was over 250 games 10-11 medals McCall was a mainstay. They were, they were they were both mainstays of what would become the nine in a row era. Mm-hmm. Uh, fantastic signings, and um, 
But I just remember at the time, you know, I, I think a lot of the you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't have been getting told it was a bargain for the first three or four weeks, Andy Gorham being there, but <laughs> <laughs> one of those they had one of those starts that some the players sometimes have at Rangers, and it's always interesting when you when you equate it back to this era to watch. I watched the game yesterday to watch the, the Tom Lawrences and Malik Tillman and people like that making their debuts and and you think how important it was and then look back and think someone who went on to become a legend really had a an absolutely horrific start at the club uh, with the Gorham in his first you know five six weeks but interestingly reflect on that part of it. yeah absolutely as well another thing I want to touch on that we've had on we've we've interviewed and we spoke about this as well getting David Robertson for Aberdeen won a a top left back obviously. I think it was a position Sunis had wanted to fill for years. I don't think he ever really, as good as Stuart Monroe was, I don't think he ever kind of fully trusted him. And I think it was obviously, that was another big one. Like you're going to Aberdeen, you're, you're bright. Obviously, I don't think Aberdeen were keen to sell at that point. And, but getting David Robertson in as well, it's another big bit of business. Robertson was, honestly, when I look now at Andy Robertson, you know, David Robertson was miles ahead of his time. You know, like in that position, you know, like you look at... Uh, the numbers that, that Liverpool have had from Alexander-Arnold and Robertson, and then you look at the Rangers' comparison from the amount of times you see Barisic, you know, powering up the left, or Bassey last season and, and, and Tavernier scoring back post and how, how high and brave the fullbacks are now. Robertson was an absolute Rolls-Royce, like mm-hmm. an unbelievable player. And and you're right, I think when you look at that, that left-back, I can remember, you know, even going back to Jan Bartram, Jimmy Phillips, you know, Chris Vinicom. There, yeah. there, was, there was a stack of players in that in that slot, and until Bomber came in, actually, you know, and Bomber played there at left back as well for a while, uh, as well as left centre half. You know, I think you look at like uh, Robertson was like an absolute Rolls Royce, you know, and, and very underrated. It's actually there's not that many of them out of that team that went on to be have great coaching journeys, but David Robertson's had a terrific coaching journey. Yeah, unbelievable. San Diego, Real, Cashmere. You know, he's a brilliant like. Uh, He's had a fascinating life after nine in a row. Yeah, absolutely. A, a departure I want to touch on in this episode is the the departure of Trevor Stephen to Marseille. Obviously, five and a half million, that's crazy money back then. But you've got two very similar negotiators, it's fair to say, with David Murray and Bernard Tappe. Is that accurate? Like, you can imagine how yeah. that negotiating went. Oh, that would have that would have been uh, the egos have landed, wouldn't it? That yes. one, you know, that's that's two guys who like don't like to be second in a negotiation. You know, I don't think uh, it it comes in as a negotiation there. It's just they, somebody wants to win and somebody wants to lose. You know that, and uh, it was a good deal at the time. You know, obviously ended up coming back, but like um, he was a he was a clever clever footballer, Trev. Uh, and I always always remember his, his nickname and address room was Tricky. You know, and they all called him Tricky Trev, you know, just because he he had like he's just clever footballer, like and I always thought like another one who I thought took it up a level, you know, when when he was brought in. Uh, a class act. And I also a class act as a person off the field as well. Doing a lot yeah, of mental health and stuff like that, which which I think is pretty admirable as well. He's a good guy. Yeah, absolutely. But we'll we'll talk about the kind of how European football is going to change at this point. We've got the three foreigners rule, but we've also got the formation of what's going to become the Champions League. It kind of starts in ninety one, ninety two, where the the European Cup is going to no longer be kind of a fully knockout thing because you've got the situation where back in the day the champions of Italy could play the champions of Spain in the first round, but you could also think where the champions of Malta could play the champions of Northern Ireland. So it was one of it was something that needed to happen. It was obviously 
it was better for revenue to go down the group stage route and Rangers Campbell will go in particular they taking a big hand in it. Yeah, he did. And uh, again, someone who I feel when you look back, I always thought he carried himself magnificently. You know, like a, a really astute guy. And Campbell was one of those guys, like you, you would see the people who, Charlton's really who came into the club later in the, in the bleak years that Rangers had. Campbell Ogilvie just, uh, for me, was he was class to deal with, first of all, as a person, as a journalist. And he was also just, I thought he... He gave the club the right the right image across across Europe, not just in you know he was heavily involved at UEFA level, uh, and and heavily involved in, in in the formation of the Champions League. And I just remember the excitement of that that season, you know, like like and uh, the games were the games were unbelievable. We probably touching on on the section games and how well they played, you know. Yeah. And it's just uh, I think a reflection of how shrewd Smith was as a coach when you look at the you know that team going when. You know, I bounce the ball really uh, of the final, and um, and then I'm finally getting to a UEFA Cup final where a team there was nowhere near uh, that squad yeah. in terms of ability. You know, so for so I always think that for all the plaudits he got, you know, Walter, I think um, he did get under, underestimated a little bit in his in his European knowledge when because people forget how close they went to the final in in '92 '93. Yeah, absolutely, and the. The first kind of Smith, the first year of the Smith era, the a defeat to Sparta Prague and away goals was that Sparta Prague going to do really well in that kind of the, the last year of the European Cup. But was but was a kind of reaction to that back at the time with kind of defeat to Sparta Prague. I think to be honest, it was uh, it was the heat getting ramped up again on the goalie because he, he was at fault again in the Ibrox leg, uh, and he'd already you know. I remember him telling me about the, the horrible one at, at Tynecastle where Scott Crabbe shot and he thought it was yeah. going past the post and he actually made a gesture that's going wide. And then he said, I heard this swish behind me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and uh, it got in. He then get, and I think, I can't remember the exact chrono- chronology, Scott, but like, he then lost a horrible goal at Hamden in the League Cup semi-final against Hibs, mm-hmm. having left Hibs and said he was leaving Hibs to win medals. And uh, I just remember at that point, you know, like... Coisty tell me that he walked into the dressing room and said, you know, after the, after that fight at the semi-final, he said, um, walked into the Rangers dressing room and said, you know, just think about it. If I was at Hibs, I'd have a League Cup medal uh, after the final. And Coisty's quick as, as Coisty has said, listen, if you were still at Hibs, we'd all have a League Cup medal. <laughs> 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 he slaughtered them. And, uh, and then uh, there was a, it was a kind of own goal, I think, that, you know, the goal in the, I think it came off, might have come off Nizzy or something, but there was a, he let in another one. It was the third high-profile error he'd made against Sparta Prague. And I just remember that game being a kind of culmination of, oof, this goal is, you know, this goal is not Chris Woods. You know, this guy's mm-hmm. going to struggle here. And his next game after that was actually Celtic away. Uh, and he had a clean sheet at Parkhead. They won 2-0, and I think that made him. You know, yeah, like, yeah. I never looked back. But the, for the Sparta Prague one, I remember, that, like you say, they were a, they were a class act. Uh, but it was an early exit and and disappointing, you know, like like you know, I'll probably equate it with the kind of feeling that there was in the the Malmo Stephen Gerrard game, you know, where you, you were thinking that the club were on a you know on the precipice of something you know big, yeah. and then incredibly early, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But well, you mentioned obviously the goal, and we'll touch on him. Then obviously we're recording this a couple of weeks after he he tragically passed away, but. He does turn it round. He has that magnificent game at Parkhead, and he 
he just kicks on so much. And what was it? What like? What, what do you remember him saying about what was it that just changed? Like, was it just that performance kind of built the confidence in him? Because Rangers go on a magnificent run after that, and it it kind of goes with as well with just how well he, he takes over at that point. I think a superb piece of like man management because rather than uh, rather than leave him twisting in the wind, Walter brought him in and he said, "What can we do to help you?" You know, what can we do? Tell me what I need to do to help you. I need to help you settle in here. You know, obviously, you know, you're not performing at the peak that you can be at. And he asked him to get Alan Hodgkinson uh, up mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, specialist goalkeeping sessions with him. And Hodge at that minute was, was, remember, was working with Peter Schmeichel at Manchester United. So yeah. it takes a bit to go to Sir Alex and say, you know, I want your goalie coach to come up here two days a week and work with, work with Gorham whilst also working down there with Schmeichel. But they got it done, you know, and a testimony what was, you know, relationship with Sir Alex, obviously. And and that's what happened, you know, Hodg- Hodgkinson came up and eventually Hodgkinson would come up full time. Mm-hmm. They needed his kind of guru beside him to get him through it, you know, like to get yeah. him through the darker days. And then then he just kicked on. And after that, it was just... And people, like, I, I think people look at Andy and say, oh, the flying pig, and he wasn't an athlete and all that. He was an unbelievable athlete. Top, you know, hand eye. You don't play cricket for Scotland and cricket, you know, and, and football for Scotland if you're if you're not a good athlete. And um, and after that, he was just one of those guys that he loved. You know, you see guys like I think Ibrox can make people up, can break them. You know, and like like it's such an unforgiving arena if you're not, you know, you don't get you hit the ground running. But he eventually like just loved it. You know, the big games when you see like I think he, I think it was something like five old firm games out of twenty five or something. I can't remember some ridiculous start. He loved old firm games, you know, like, and then he loved all that, like, you know, mm-hmm. big games. And I think the ones I'll remember are Champions League leads away, stuff like that, and yeah. big and the old firm games, you know. And it's just, uh, I was in touch with him up to the end, Scott, and mm-hmm. having done the book and all that kind of stuff in 50, it's no, no age, you know. Sadly. Absolutely, yeah. It's just a, a tragedy as well, and we're, we're sending our best to his family, but. You mentioned there about Waller's man management. It's something I want to touch on in the next part. We're going to talk about the the emergence of Ali McCoyston this season. I think it's not run about enough. I just think that he turns it up a gear. Obviously, his relationship with Sunnis, I don't think was the best. I think that's probably fair to say, but he turns it up a gear. I mean, we remember, obviously, the, the nickname he got with, of the judge because he was the bench for so long, but what, ha- what clicked with him and Mark Gately this season? Because it just... When they start, when they when they were on it, they just weren't weren't like never come off. Unbelievable! I think when you you know he was definitely the third man when when Mo when Mo Johnson was there, you know. And see, to be honest, for a lot of that time, I don't think you could argue against that. And it's probably not. Popular view coming from a guy who who comes from East Kilbride, you know, to speak about to say that. But Coisty is my obviously I grew up with and stuff like that. But I think um, Mo Johnson when he came back from non probably one of the top strikers in Europe. Absolutely. You know, he developed into an unbelievable player. Uh, and he was a, a, for a lot of reasons, he was a brilliant signing, you know, like shattering the, you know, the Catholic signing, uh, the high, or a, to bring in a high-profile Catholic signing like that, I think, built the, the future for the club. Mm-hmm. For a start. And it had to be someone who was of that level. You know, it had to be someone who was, who could take the heat, which more could because his personality and also someone who could perform at an unbelievable level, which he did with Haley. And, and much as uh, McCoy's Rangers' greatest ever striker, and you can't you can't argue with that. But at that point, I don't think Soonis made 
made a mistake in putting uh, Johnson and Hayley together. But by the time the switch was made and, and Walter came in, I think Walter's so clever with the timing and the way that he, he basically motivated McCoist, you know, to, to take back the slot and eventually... And eventually he ended up, I know in my era when I was growing up, I, I just remember Toshak and Keegan at Liverpool. Mm-hmm. And I always think, you know, the reason that Haley's in Rangers' greatest ever team, which you could definitely dispute, I think, is the one slot you look at. Personally, I look at it and I think, should Derek Johnson have been mm-hmm. beside McCoy up front? If, you, if you're looking at the greatest ever 11, you know, and Johnson's an unbelievable player in more than one position. And... Um, I think it's because people just cannot separate McCoy and Haley. Yeah, you look at it as a tandem the same way as you looked at Toshak and Keegan as a as a as a tandem. And the amount of times that the that's you wouldn't call it route one because it was a brilliant tactic. The goalie called it the BFG, mm-hmm. called boot flip goal, and it was like he would just literally look for Haley's head, <laughs> like half volley on Haley's head, flick on goal. And the amount of times that that worked, you know, and, and McCoy got in and scored. Yeah. They're just a perfect partnership, McCoy and Haley. Very different, but a, a terrific partnership. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, McCoy goes on to win the, the European Golden Boot. He just has an unbelievable scoring record in that season. But that whole season, obviously, apart from the kind of league, the league cup and the, the European Cup exit, Rangers only lose one league game from November. It's just that how big was that title win? Because obviously, I think. When you look back, and we spoke about this last week when, when Waller was appointed, I think there was that that kind of demand for a big name. How big was that title win to kind of improve the fans' kind of hopes that Walter was the right guy? Yeah, I think massive. You know, like, uh, like obviously, whatever way you look at it, soon as it left Rangers in the lurch, you know, he left April. You know, if you think about that now, where the kind of... I wouldn't say there was a lot of vitriol towards Stephen Gerrard when he left, but people didn't like the time in miss mid-season. Mm-hmm. Soon as left in April, yeah. there was four big games left, you know, and he left for he left for Liverpool, and I think that always uh, left a sort of taste in a lot of mouths. But Walter got them over the line. But the next season, it's, it's really down to can you keep it going? You know, is it you know put your own mark on it? Can you win your own title? Uh, and they were they were relentless in the league. You know, like, like obviously they they go over the the first two kind of, uh, you know, the early start, which the goalie struggling. You know, they're out of Europe, the League Cup, but then after that they just kicked on and uh, and took command of it. And I think that was hugely important because it showed that he could do it on his own. You know, and for Walter and Archie as well. Remember, yeah, you know, absolutely. You know, it was massive for Walter and Archie together as a partnership to win the title in such commanding fashion. Yeah, and winning the Scottish Cup as well, the first one since 1981. How how kind of big was that as well, beating Airdrie 2-1 in the final? Because that was just a a bogey cup. Rangers just never did well in the Scottish Cup at that point. Yeah, it's funny is that's, that that's kind of repeated itself in the modern yeah. era. You know, look at it, you know, it has repeated itself, that kind of thing. They go through these droughts every now and again in the Scottish Cup. And, uh, you know, I think that was massive. You know, it wasn't the greatest final in the world. You know, like... Uh, you know, when I look at the final, to be honest, the goal I remember is Andy Smith's goal. So uh, yeah. it's, it's not like uh, <laughs> one of the memorable Rangers Scottish Cup final victories. But no, nah, to, to, to take two of, the, two of the three trophies, there was a point at the start of that season where that wouldn't have looked possible. You know, mm-hmm. like, and, and they kicked on. And uh, and obviously, I think that was probably the bedrock of the night, to be honest, winning it that season. 
started to kick it on. Yeah, absolutely. And we move into the summer of 1992. Not a lot of transfer business, Rangers, obviously. They bring back Trevor Stephen. I think there was some discrepancy with, with pay Marseille. We'll touch on Marseille in a couple of minutes. But getting kind of getting into that summer, like we'll touch on the, the, the new Champions League. Rangers are drawn against Lingby. The champions are Denmark in the first round. Getting through that and then obviously getting drawn against Leeds United. What was the obviously you were working in the media at the time? What was the what was going on at that time in the kind of media with your, your English counterparts? Oh, it was massive. You know, I mean there's no there's no doubt about like um I remember the first the build up to the first game was unbelievable, you know, like and the and the Lingby one wasn't an easy one to get past. I think Gerani's mm-hmm. in the in the yeah in the, in the Lingby and and even just getting through that, that that tie again, and I'm trying to kind of uh, for, for younger listeners to to equate it, it looks a little bit like the Union Stad Gilwa one that the Rangers have now. You know that kind of there's a potential banana skin that Lingby one. You know, yeah. and then and then there was a lot of kind of I remember like there was a there was stuff around Stuttgart and stuff like that, and the the, yeah. the draw was kind of messed up and stuff like that. And then and then obviously it became apparent that it was going to be Rangers versus Leeds at Battle of Britain. And I think you looked at you looked at the players they had striking McAllister Cantona. You know, massive, right? You know, and I remember the first leg and the build-up was just unbelievable. You know, we did eight-page pull-outs and things like that, which was pretty unheard of in one game, you know, building up yeah. to that. And everything built up to the game and the, the noise was just unreal. I broke that night and then within a minute, yeah. McAllister's volleyed one into the top bin and, and the place just was like a pin in a balloon, right? And you're yeah. like, and you're just like, oh. But I think to summed up that team that, the character to come back, you know, and uh, and they weren't quality goals at Ibrox, you know, like McCoyst and then Lukic, obviously. Yeah. And he always says he looked for the spot in his gloves and all that because he had <laughs> and then he punched it. It's an own goal, right? So it's like, then they got 2-1 up. But uh, the away leg, you know, I remember like, um, I remember some of the stuff uh, journalistically from some of my colleagues down south, you know, the Rangers will get put, it was basically Rangers will get put in their place in their way, like, yeah, well done, the plucky Scots type thing, and all that, you know, and they'll get put in their place in their way, like, and obviously that, there was no Rangers fans allowed in, but there was still so many, uh, so many great uh, Glasgow characters that made their way into that game, brilliant, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. James Moore, you know, Andy Smiley, some of the, the Rangers super fans, they all made their way into the game somehow, but they all got there in the hospitality, yeah. And um, terrific night, and it's always misremembered to me that night, Scott. To be honest, because people going, yeah, they just went down, and it was another, you know, masterclass in a way, a way European football or whatever. They got absolutely battered that night. I think battered. it's a perfect. So I think it's a perfect simulation of this this team. Like you've got at one end, obviously, with the Haley ball to McCoy's for that header is that's yeah. that's a partnership. That's knowing yeah. each where each other are going to be, but. We mentioned the goalie. The some of the saves he makes that night oh, are unbelievable. I can remember. I just remember, you know, Cantona going through on him. I don't know if you remember. It's one of the ones he comes out. He's so he makes himself so big. Yeah, Cantona's on his left foot, and he's and the goalie saves it. And I just remember Cantona looking at the goalie, and you can virtually look see him looking at him, going, "Who is this guy?" You know, <laughs> just like, couldn't be him. And eventually, like I think Cantona got a consolation goal. Yeah, hits off Richard Goff's foot. Hits off his foot, right, and goes mm-hmm. in right. Uh, and I remember the goal. Well, typically the goalie was raging because he had money on himself for a clean sheet. <laughs> there was a, there was a bit. Of, not like Andy to do that, but there was, 
there was a lot of like uh, Andy had been overlooked by Howard Wilkinson at the England under 21s. Mm-hmm. And I remember the game, he was picked to play for people forget that, picked to play for England under 21s at Portsmouth. And they were struggling to sell tickets. And Howard Wilkinson picked a guy called Alan Knight because he was a local keeper for Portsmouth. And he put him ahead of the goalie, despite the fact that the goalie had been picked to play in the game to sell some tickets. And mm-hmm. uh, and Andy was always raging about that. You know, even though he was proud of his Scottish heritage and proud that he got to play for Scotland, he held a little bit against Howard Wilkinson. And I just, I just remember getting a message that night, you know, which was basically get it up, you heard type thing. <laughs> I was really delighted that he was able to kind of put him out of Europe. Uh, so there was a bit of that about it, certainly, and, and the, the Battle of Britain, I think, uh, was scary now to look on, Scott, that's 30 years ago, scary. Yeah, I know. It was, uh, it was definitely, it, it's, to me, it looks like it's a seminal performance of the, the Smith era, you know, you look yeah. at that and go, wow, you know, like just too unbelievable for, you know, to come back in the first game, pure Ibrox emotion, really, the first game. And then the second game, tactically, he did superbly. But as I say, people tend to forget how many brilliant saves uh, Gorham made that night and how good Goff and Brown were at the back. Goff yeah. and Brown unbelievable that night, you know. Like, and, and they forget, you're playing against, as that was a peak Cantona, you know, that yeah. was Cantona on his way. And, uh, no, fantastic night. Yeah. Rangers are getting drawn against uh, the Russian champions, CSK Moscow, the Belgian champions, Club Bruges, and the French champions, Marseille. What was their reaction to the draw at the time? Do you remember? I remember it being like, um, obviously, people looked at Marseille, I think, as, as, as the major danger. Didn't really much, know much about CSK and Bruges at that point. Uh, but, you know, Marseille and Tappy's money meant that they were, you know, they had some fantastic players, you know, Boxage Faller, Abidi Pele. They were just like unbelievable. Sozi, they were like, you know, there was like, it was some team. Yeah. It was an unbelievable team and uh, had been put together for that purpose. They'd been put put together for the purpose with money. Kind of like a modern day PSG. Yeah, they lost in penalties a couple of years before as well. They were, I think yeah. they were desperate to win that. And... Yeah, they were put together for that purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of them because, and I think it's much as it is now, Scott, you know, like the French League, you're not going to go, you're not, if you're a top level player, you're not going to France to win the league. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's, it's not like a great league competition, I don't think. And, it's got better a little bit recently with the emergence of Lyon and Lille and clubs like that. But at that point, pretty much, it was a given that Marseille were going to win it. So yeah. it was all the focus was in building them to win the European Cup, and that's why they were there. Yeah, the 25th of November 1992, Rangers host Marseille in the first game of the, the yeah. Champions League group. In the first 60 minutes, the French champions dominate two magnificent goals. You've got the wee mix up between the goalie and Stephen Presley, but Marseille were on on at that first 60 minutes. Unreal. I mean, I remember the night it was lashing down a rain as well and uh, just got battered again, like battered. The first hour, you guys actually men against boys the first hour, you know, one of those ones where you're going, oh, you're looking, watching and thinking they're out of depth here. Mm-hmm. There's no way they get a result here uh, for an hour and then obviously the, the thing with Elvis and the goalie, you know, Elvis was in obviously because of injuries. Uh, but I just remember something in the, in the aftermath of that goal, you know, it would have been easy for the goalie to kind of blame Elvis or whatever. It was just a communications mixed up. They picked, like, Elvis was flat in the turf and he picked him up. Mm-hmm. And it was a kind of roar went up for the fans, you know, I kind of come on Rangers, like, you know, you can get back into this type thing. And, you know, when you look at the, the personnel that night because it was injuries and McSwagan was there and all that kind of stuff, you know, like, you're like, 
unbelievable. The man's, I can remember walking out and, and thinking, how is that 2-2? You know, it literally, was, if, it, if it was a boxing match, on the other match, they'd have stopped it. Yeah. Well, they really would have been Rangers on the ropes getting an absolute bleaching, Scott, you know, <laughs> thinking, that's that game over. And then somehow they managed to turn around and get a point. Yeah, Haley scores. Haley scores a, I can have, it's a two-yard header, but McSwagan's yeah. header is actually a very underrated goal. It's just it's oh, it's a brilliant header, brilliant yeah. header. But obviously, Rangers the level in Marseille after the first game. Rangers play CSK Moscow in the second game. Do you remember where they played that game? Bochum, 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 Germany. Is that right? Do you remember yeah. why? I can't remember, no. I, th- I can't remember why they, why it was switched there. But I remember it was in Bochum in Germany. I remember Ian Ferguson scored that, right? Ian Ferguson scored the winning goal. Rangers won one now. I think it was due to weather in Russia. I think it may well have been there was that. It may well have been it was the depths of winter there, and there was a frozen field or whatever, and and they went back there. But like I remember, and again, I think Fergie shot me. I taken a deflection, but they they, they won one nil and a big win, you know. And and then obviously there's the like, the two Bruges games uh, and mm-hmm. Marseille away to come after that. Yeah, we'll touch, we'll touch on the first Bruges game, the 1-1 the drop, Peter Ooster, it's kind of late equaliser, but the second Bruges game, it's it's an uphill battle because Hately gets sent off for, I still, I, I've, I've watched it a few times a day, I don't know what he gets sent off for. He's sent off for, it's like, so before that, you know, uh, and touched on that in, in Andy's book, you know, the, by then, Within the game, the stories were swirling around that that Tappy was trying to make sure that Marseille won the tournament, you know, and that there was bravery and this and that and all that stuff. Was the story true about Hately getting approached by a hundred percent? Is that true? That's a hundred percent. He was he got a phone call and was offered money to be injured and basically not playing the game. And he's 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 always maintained since then that he feels someone got to the ref. Because when you look at it, and I remember the guy's name is Lorenzo Stalins, uh, the Bruce defender, and they were at each other all night, you know, and, mm-hmm. and Mark's kind of, you know, jerseys, whatever, and he kind of lifted his arm a wee bit and he straight-redded him for an elbow. And uh, it was ridiculous, you know, and, and and when you look back now at that decision, you go, hang on a minute, you know, like, you know, you do you do question whether, you know, whether something was was it that bad. He one hundred percent, you know, like and and that was well known within not at the time, it would have been great to know that at the time because we mm-hmm. sold a few papers, but afterwards, <laughs> afterwards when I did the uh, I did the goalish book and, and spoke to Mark about it, yeah, they got a phone call saying, you know, you'll get a certain amount of money if you can, you know, if and obviously Mark spoke French from his, his time at Monaco. Yeah. Uh, got a, he got an offer to kind of basically be injured and not play. Rangers, maybe they made sure he didn't play when you look back at mm-hmm. but obviously that means he'll miss the, game, the, the next game against Marseille but Rangers get through that Bruges game that Scott Nisbet goal that yeah. it's just unbelievable how it goes but the game I wanted obviously the Rangers are level with Marseille but Marseille go to Moscow and win 6-0 what was mm-hmm. the reaction to that at the time? I think people thought that it stank you know, a little bit. People even thought then, even then, like, even then, yeah, people thought, yeah, absolutely. And as it turned out, you know, like uh, Rangers drew in Bruges, and then the win, the win at Ibrox, and then obviously Marseille away. Marseille away became a massive game. You know, when you when you look at it, and I always remember the chance that night. McCoy's had an unbelievable chance at one one. It's also, by the way, one of the I haven't done 
the first Rangers book that I did with any of the players was Gene Durant's autobiography in, in mm-hmm. 1998. And um, I just remember that night, I was right, right behind when he struck it. Mm-hmm. What a that is, honestly. I, I, again, yeah. like, look at the Rangers' greatest goals. Like It starts about a yard and a half outside the far post, going just mm-hmm. it's such an unbelievable strike. And I think the goalie always had a little bit of regret of the goal that he lost that night. Yeah, Frank Sosie. Frank Sosie, he gets a hand on it and he feels he should. I think he always felt he should have, he should have uh, saved that. And then people forget the chance McCoy's missed. You know, if McCoy's yeah. missed a massive chance, he would normally score at 1-1. And, um, you know, a 2-1 win there would have been... Well, I think they would have made the final when you look back on it. But, uh, but it was an unbelievable campaign. But, but one that when you look back... They were subsequently found guilty of bribery and stuff like that. It, it leaves a sort of taste, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, we we'll play a wee game of what if winning this part. If <laughs> if Rangers had, if McCoy's had buried that chance and they'd went on to reach the final, do they beat AC Milan? In my view, yeah, because it was a it was a it was an aging AC Milan side by that point. You know, uh, as it was, you know, would go and score the goal and. And Marseille would win. It wasn't a great final when I looked at it. But I just remember watching the final and, and like you're saying, playing a game of what if. Mm-hmm. But Rangers were on the rise then, you know, like and I think it's like uh, it's one of those ones. I, I think they I think they, they would have went on to win it. Mm-hmm. And you know, just there was that building of momentum on that run. They were getting better and better. They went through the section, obviously, unbeaten. You know, and no, at that level they were I thought that was probably the year. But it's the legacy of that campaign. But I think, I think like I say, that year, like that year, 92-93, I think they went 44 games unbeaten in all, in all competitions. Uh, and they were just, they did, they looked invincible. And I, I think at that point, they started to build that. That built nine for me because they started to build that era, that kind of aura and invincibility. Mm-hmm. You know, like people, some teams, sometimes domestically teams would be beaten before they go on the field. Yeah. Because they were just so... So many big characters, such a will to win, never beaten. You know that, that so many late goals and stuff like that in games. And I think the legacy of that runs probably, funnily enough, nine in a row. You know because it's like it, it's in that season where, to me, they 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 hate Smith. You 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 then started to look at the season before was a foundation one, but then you have yeah. has that season and you look and you go oof. This is a major manager here, you know, and 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 then I think people it wasn't the countdown to nine because I, I'm trying to think how many that made it, but that is like I think that's five at this point. Five. I think people started looking then, right? And people started looking and thinking, right, they could probably have Smith stays around and the Goffs and the Gorums and the Brown and McCall and McCoyst and Haley, if all the if all the major players were, were to stay around, then people started thinking they could really do that, they could really make the nine. Yeah, clinching a domestic treble as well at Parkhead with two one one over Aberdeen. They'd obviously won the league cup, beating Aberdeen as well. But Ali McCoyst again is another unbelievable season. But on international duty, he breaks his leg. What was your reaction to that? Just remember that's the night when we lost in Portugal five nothing. Yeah, uh, and there's there's two things that stick in my in my mind with that. I mean, I remember obviously Coyst was in April, I think, towards the end of the season. Coyst broke his leg. A tackle with a guy called Oceano Cruz, I think, and he won a great tackle. And um, but I remember Paulo Futre was the big mm-hmm. superstar. And there's one thing that sticks in my mind about that 
Uh, and I liked Andy Roxburgh as a Scotland manager, but it just always staggered me that he never picked John Brown. Uh, and I remember that night, like, Bomber was just in the form of his life, and and he didn't pick him. And I remember being totally staggered by that, you know, because and like he picked Craig Levine ahead of him, and Paolo Futri tortured Craig Levine, and we we lost five 0 And uh, I remember his quote afterwards, which for the journalist like myself was like manna from heaven. He came out and he said uh, a team died out there, and I, I remember kind of somewhat. Uh, caustically thinking to myself, it might not have died out there if you put John Brown out. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, I was always, you know, for, for John Brown to go through a season like that and play the way he did against top, top players, Cantona, the rest of them, and, and not be capped, to me, was bewildering. But McCoy said it was a, a body blow at, at that point. But they got over the line, you know, like Haley carried them over the line in, in, in the other tournaments. But it's an unbelievable... Uh, achievement the golden boots when when you look at it. Yeah. And definitely. it's just he never mentions it much, eh? So. <laughs> <laughs> but well we'll we'll get into the kind of summer of nineteen ninety three. The arrival of Duncan Ferguson is a, a big one, four million pounds a Scottish transfer record. What was the what was the kind of feeling at the time? Was this a feeling like Rangers are just so far ahead and on the park and obviously financially? Yeah, I think Bolly came in that summer as well, didn't he? Yeah, was Bolly was the season after. Season after, wasn't he? So that, that, that year you look at it, when, when Big Dunk came, he was he was obviously like the talent of his generation, mm-hmm. you know. Like, and I, I think when they paid that amount of money, um, but I remember looking and thinking, well, where does he fit in? Yeah, you know, Big Mark, like, you know, I think they went and got him because Sir David Murray wanted to go and get him because it was, it was like, you know, like he saw it as a statement that. Right, the biggest young Scottish players come here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm pretty sure, but I'm certain Walter would be behind it. But also, I was just kind of thinking the timing because it wasn't like you were looking like a Hately on the wane at that point. Hately was was still a major player. You know, he obviously always had his ankle problems and stuff like that. And I think they were maybe trying to look at uh, that as an insurance policy and maybe we'll ease Big Dunk in and stuff like that. And he'll eventually become the next Hately. Dunk's not that type of boy, and Haley's not that type of boy. So it's like Haley's not Haley's not going to bring him on as an understudy, and Dunk wasn't going to accept being an understudy. So and then you're so now you're looking at how do you fit him in the team, and they ended up at one point, you know, like he played up front with Haley, but he played kind of off the left and stuff like that, and it just it just didn't work, you know, like and then yeah. they got himself in bother very early, which uh, made it difficult. Yeah, and obviously as well, we'll. It's a bad kind of league start, kind of three wins from nine games, those draws against Celtic, those defeats to Kilmarnock and Motherwell at home. But you're at the Champions League, obviously, after the the season previous, I think a lot of Rangers fans, I think even the, the man at the top will be would have been wanting to, to perform in this at this season. But Lefsky Sophia, it's a three two one at home and a two one defeat away, and Rangers go out five four on aggregate. How disappointing was that? Was that that's obviously it leads to a kind of few disappointing European results, but how big was that Lefsky Sophia defeat? Massive. Yeah, I remember, you know, I just remember again that the kind of I always felt and I, and I still feel that Scottish clubs don't prepare themselves well enough for the early games in Europe. You know, there's that tradition of us that we go away and we need to have our break for a certain amount of time and, and then we come back. And it always seemed as if 
the teams were scrambling to get themselves together in time for those games, you know, and uh, even then, you know, I looked the other day and Mother will lose to Sligo Rovers, you know, how many results do we have to have like that before yeah, the teams start, start to prepare properly for early European games? And and that was kind of on Rangers at that time. I felt they were a bit disjointed and not quite recovered from the season before. When it was a hangover for that season. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, like, you know, like, the season before had been stellar. You know what I mean? Like, it had been an unbelievable season. 44 games unbeaten, taking a lot of that people, McCoy's injury, all that kind of stuff. And and then all of a sudden you're into the, the games the next season and, and the left skid is all p- pitched up. And and that, you've got to be, I think you've got to guard against that because it can hang over your whole season. Mm-hmm. No, it was unbelievable. I listened to, a, I still listen to a phone, the, 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 the phone ins over here on, on podcasts in Canada. And there was somebody calling for Graham Alexander to be sacked the other night with one game. <laughs> and Motherwell, you know, and, and I remember that kind of like, uh, and I was laughing and everything when I was driving, but then I was thinking, I knew we were doing this, and I was remembering thinking back to the pressure. And I remember, you know, like, you know, Walter being questioned after that Levski-Sophia game, and I'm thinking, wow, this guy's just done, won 44 games unbeaten. And, yeah. You know, won a treble, but there you go, that's, that's the pressures at range. Yeah, and then obviously... It kind of picks up in the the league rate. They go on a wee run apart for the two one defeat against Celtic and kind of Lou McCarry's only. We'll touch on Celtic in a couple of minutes actually because it's there's something kind of mixes in with kind of Rangers. I feel at this point, Rangers won the league cup. They beat Hibs in the final. McCoy obviously comes obviously comes back and scores that acrobatic kick. How big was that for him and how big was that for Rangers to to get that trophy? I think it was huge, you know, at that at that point in the season. For him to come back, he was nowhere near fit. I yeah. remember that. I think he came off the bench, I think wearing 14, which has become his kind of lucky number for a little while. And, and um, it's just a typical McCoy school, and it? it's like Roy the Rovers stuff. You know, he came off the bench, and uh, and I don't think he was quite his fighting weight. I remember uh, Stuart McCall saying to me when he landed, they made such an indentation in the pitch at Parkhead that like they had to put traffic cones in it for a while after it. And uh, <laughs> it was like uh, it was uh, I don't think he was quite as I think people underestimate when you see when you don't know McCoy his body type or stuff like that. See when he was fit, Scott, he was a middleweight boxer, he's a beat he's a beast, you know, yeah. a beast a man when he was like a, he's a powerful, powerful boy when he was like super fit. But I think he would admit that uh, at that point in that final, he was kind of, again, it was like a Walter masterstroke. Like, you know, he's sensing that the game's maybe turning against him a little bit. And he threw him on at the right moment to get the goal. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. And obviously Rangers going to, to win the league as well. A 17-match unbeaten run after December. It's only three points, but obviously there's, there's five. Rangers don't win any of the last five games. But is there just this... Superiority at this point that there's it's it's dominance into it. It's Rangers are so, so far yeah. ahead in in Scotland that winning the league's just the norm. Like that's yeah, it was, it was kind it. of becoming it was kind of becoming expected, which is and also like you say, Celtic were in a little bit of disarray, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and and Rangers took advantage of that at, at that point. But there was also a feeling towards the end of that season, I think <clears throat> ninety four that. You know, it was going to be a double treble, and it was it, it was kind of a cakewalk type thing, and taken for granted. And obviously, at the end of the season, they were limping over the line a little bit. Gorham went in a bender in Tenerife, which uh, was that when Walter transfer listed. Yes, 
So, I mean, he was he did badly injured at that point. He had a back injury and then they sent him out for some warm weather to try and see if there was a possibility he could play in the Scottish Cup final. Uh, and <laughs> he then uh, he then gave one of the great tabloid stories. You know, I remember like, like, he, he was with his wife and he was with Tracy, I think, at, at that point. And um, with his wife and family, they say, met the, the Oldham boys. Joe Royal and all that were there from his olden days in, in, in Tenerife and decided he would go for a pint with them and then meet up with the, the wife and family. One thing led to another. They never met up with the wife and family. They were flying back the next morning. He woke up at, I think, about 3pm the next day, having missed his flight. Uh, no passport. Only got the clothes he stood up in uh, and had to phone, you know, and I got, I got a call back then and he, and I'd spoken to Walter at that point, and he was like, "Where is he?" You know, and and then and he'd phone, then he phone, he'd phone me and said, well, "How do you think the gaffer's going to react?" I was like, "How do you think he's going to react? Scottish Cup finals coming up, and you've gone missing, you know." And he it was like, uh, and he ended up staying out there for about four days. It was a tabloid, uh, a tabloid dream. That one, he was all over the front pages. Lost his passport. He finally found out that uh, his wife had left his passport at the airport, and he got himself home and. Uh, <laughs> But, I mean, it was just a sideshow they didn't need. And then, mm-hmm. you know, when the final came, I had a wee, I had a sneaking feeling, honestly. I had a sneaking feeling just because of the way Golak was at United. And that was a happy camp building up to this to the final. And, and Rangers had limped over the line in the league and had the Gorham distraction and all that kind of stuff. And, and Walter put them on a the transfer list and all that kind of stuff. And you're, you're looking at that and I'm thinking, it's not the perfect build-up to a cup final. And as it turned out, they lost it. Yeah, and... But Rangers are they're going for this historic double treble. Then the United, the record in Scottish Cup finals at this point isn't great. Obviously, the Jim McLean fa- famous think he lost five finals and he goes yeah. he, he leaves he goes upstairs and they win one. But that whole game, the obviously the big thing was the the goal by Craig Brewster, the kind of mix up with Dave McPherson and Ali Maxwell. Mm-hmm. What was the memories of that game? I honestly just remember thinking it was fated because I'd done a lot of stuff with. Golak and Golak was like one of those managers who made players feel good about themselves, you know. And they had this. I think the United players when McLean was there, you know, that kind of def, you know not not grimness about them and all that. But he had had so many misfortunes in finals. He lost the the, the classic ninety one family final to yeah. Tommy at Mother four three, and I think that just kind of that whole thing about he was cursed and all that. And then Golak come in and he was just such a happy, smiley guy. He was uh, he was terrific, Ivan, you know, like and then obviously he knew the game as well, but and there was a lot of kind of good emerging players in that in that United team at the time, Davy Hanna, Andy McLaren, you know, good they had a good mix. And first I was a good striker. And they were a good team. And I just remember I just having that sneaking feeling that it had just been not the correct build up for Rangers and that their eyes were off the ball a little bit and they, and they paid the price. And gave away, actually gave away a treble because it was like a, you know, it was there for them for, without doubt that day, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And it leaves a, Rangers, I think they were going for eight trophies in a row. It would have been a record at the time. But let's get into what the kind of, the main subject of this episode is the the culture of the media at the time and involving Rangers. Like, what was your kind of dealings like with David Murray? Like how and at this point, like what was what was he like? Was he like we all I think we all have the kind of impression of Murray that he was just this colossus, this King Midas character. Was it was he like that with the media at that point? 
I always thought he was, I thought his dealings with the media Scott were really clever, if you know what I mean, because he, he'd obviously made his, his fortune and uh, his business life, and he, but he loved he loved all the stuff that went with, with Rangers. He loved all, all the stuff that went with being the owner of the Rangers and the chairman of the Rangers. Because at the end of the day, whatever great business deals he did in his day-to-day life, no one cared. You yeah. know, he was just making money for himself. You know, like, whereas the, the stuff that went with making Rangers successful was, was certainly uh, appealed to him, you know, and I, I think he would admit that himself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I always found him like a really fascinating guy to to deal with and and for people that, that don't like him or don't rate him or whatever or, or look at the end of the club and, and what happened with the Craig White scenario and all that kind of stuff, they should remember where the club was when he took over, you know, like, you know, in 88, you know, like obviously the Soonish Revolution happened before him, but you couldn't have two people more suited to each other than Soonish and Murray. Yeah. You know, like massive characters, both got big egos, but charismatic people, you know, they and and, and I think changed change the face of Rangers. My personal dealings with him were always excellent. You know, I always found him a, a really fascinating guy because when you look at his own personal journey, he came back from what he came back from. Yeah. When he, you know, in the car crash and losing his legs. I mean, for, for a lot of people, that would have been it. You know, that would have been the end, you know, mm-hmm. and to battle back from that. Uh, build his empire and stuff like that I thought it was pretty admirable you know I think he's uh, that gets kind of um, overlooked you know what I mean his personal story and the tragedies that happened to him in his life and he and he came back from it uh, so I always found him fascinating you know and I, I always found him pretty fair he would fall out with you uh, if, he, if he wrote a headline that he didn't like or he did a story that he didn't like you'd, you'd hear about it soon enough and then you get frozen up you know you would get for a while yeah was it fair to say that Back then, he kind of had his favourites in the media, like uh, when you think of uh, like a uh, Chuck Young, Jim Trainer, Graham Spears, kind of obviously before they'd have kind of wee tiff. But at mm-hmm. that point, like, was it the succulent lamb thing that I hate? I hate hearing about, but there's no denying it was true. Oh, there's like there's people went to to Jersey to you know, and he would have like. There's nothing unusual with a football owner having a few guys out for dinner. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I've, I've been at many, you know, I've been at many <laughs> roads and like I had numerous lunches with Walter, you know, mm-hmm. in good restaurants and, and, and also with Tommy Burns. Yeah. You know, Fergus was a, a wholly different animal. Yeah, he, I was, was going to touch he, on he, he didn't He didn't work like that. So, but like there's, there's nothing like wrong with that, but there's definitely like... You know, within the media at that point, we, we would always have our fun with Spearsy or, or whatever. And, and and Jim certainly had like a like a close relationship with David. But I never see to be honest, Scott, I never like I always thought a lot of a lot of the sniping from other members of the media was because they wanted to have that special relationship themselves because it got you stories. Yeah, so that's the same as people would say to me, and uh, I've I've heard that a million times. Or you were in Walter's pocket, or you were you were too close to Tommy Burns, or, or this that, or you know certain managers that you were you were close with. But I worked at that, you know, like I worked at that and developing those relationships. So I always thought a lot of it was like you know they can say you can say that oh he got his viewpoint put out through through those. Um, you know, those, those using those papers or using those radio stations or using that TV station or whatever way. But at the end of the day, 
that was kind of his job at that point. You know, he was trying to promote Rangers and he was trying to uh, further Rangers. And and I, 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 I think so, some of that I find slightly amateur. You know what I mean? Like, I, I find some of it, like, that's the way relationships work in the media. You know, like, like I, I thought a lot of the... A lot of the stuff, you know, where people would say he had too much influence over the media. It's a guy that's in charge of a football team, you know what I mean? At the end of the day, you know, it's a guy who's in charge of a football club and and those journalists that he had, did they do him favours? I'm sure they did, but it happens in the, in the, in the industry all over the place. Yeah, and as you, as you mentioned there, obviously, like, getting an exclusive with David Murray at that point, it's, it's a week's worth of papers, isn't it? It's selling your papers. I mean, like, for... For people that probably listen to this, you know, but back then your your newspaper was everything. I mean, we're only four at this point, four years away from a newspaper kind of influencing the the election. Exactly. The election. It's how big were the papers at that point, and he did use he, he used them absolutely excellently. He used them for the benefit of himself and Rangers. Yeah, I think at that point, I mean, I saw both sides of it because at, at one point I was chief football writer at the Sunday Mail, mm-hmm. which is. You know, and, and and Keith Jackson and Jim Trainer would be at the record at that point. And then uh, when I moved to the Scottish Sun, you know, at first that wasn't one of these favoured papers. But then I got on pretty well with him, you know, and we had a good relationship there. Uh, and then he would, he would, he was clever, Scott. You know what? He would, if he gave one to the record one week, he would give one to the Sun the next yeah. week. Yeah. You know what I mean, and then that's how he, he was. He, he's an astute man. He knows how he, he knew how to play the media at that point. You know, uh, and then the problem then comes where I do see the problem of people being too comfortable with him and being too cozy with him was when it started to implode. Yeah, because then you should, as a, as a proper free media, you should be asking serious questions about what's happening at the club, yeah. and, and and you can certainly make charges there of whether you know. Did the media then act correctly and ask the right questions? The difference between Murray and Fergus McCann at this point, obviously Fergus McCann comes into Celtic in 1994, and you do have this thing of obviously Murray would hold court, and I think it was fair to say Fergus didn't. That's obviously the thing, like Murray, as we say, Murray, he used the media so well when. At that point, I think we've we've seen it recently with the kind of I think there's there's a kind of tide turned in the, the other way mm-hmm. with the media. But at that at that point, like I mean, you you remember uh, Fergus McCann getting compared to Saddam Hussein. That was just in that it was the culture at the time. It was just weird. It's just a weird looking back on it. And you think like was that purely because Murray gave sweeties and Fergus didn't? That it was the I can remember sitting, I did, a, I did a thing when they were rebuilding Parkhead and Fergus and I sat at the top of the new stand looking out over Glasgow and we did the interview up there and uh, the pictures, he, he was a singularly unique character, mm-hmm. you know, but the one thing that I, that I liked about him, and there was all that, you know, not one thin dime and all that, I mean, to be fair, I thought he was great copy, Scott, to be honest with you, yeah. <laughs> again, quite an intriguing character, Uh I always thought he he didn't quite understand the game in the way that Murray did. You know, yeah, like, I think I think that's exactly media, it. You know, and 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 also I thought he treated uh, obviously a, a huge personal link with Tommy Burns, and and I thought he treated Burns abominably. You know, I thought it was a bad decision. I thought it was a bad decision when you when you when you think that Tommy's team possibly over the last thirty years one of the most entertaining Scottish teams lost yeah. one game, lost one league game and lost the league. You know, and 
if he if he if he'd stuck if he'd let if he'd stuck with Tommy, and 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 just let him build something there that he was building, then you know they might not they might not have suffered the name. But like, um, no, he was an interesting guy. And the one thing that I like about Fergus is he did everything he said he would do, and then he got out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Seldom happens in the old firm, Scott. You know, like yeah, when you absolutely. look at the way Murray ended, his legacy is probably tainted by. In fact, it's obviously yeah. tainted by what happened at the end. But Ferguson's isn't. You know, mm-hmm. like Ferguson's, Ferguson's legacy to Celtic will be rescuing them from you know possible you know liquidation. But that's the thing. Yeah, that's the thing. Like if you'd said in '95 when he's well, maybe later than that when Fergus is getting booed at. Parkhead when they're unfollowing the flag. If you'd said then that Fergus McCann would have the better legacy than David Murray, I don't think a lot of people would agree with you. Exactly. Yeah. And he probably, what he, he's probably, I don't know, you can always dispute the sums, but people always said to me, he walked away 40 million up. Uh, he walked away 40 million up having rebuilt the club and, and did what and delivered in the stadium and, and did what he said he would do. And there's, there's not, many, not many people do that when you look through the ownership of the old firm. So, uh, Definitely not. Definitely not. The final season of what we're going to talk about is 94-95. In the summer of that season, Rangers go into the European market, bring in, as we mentioned, Basil Bolly, who obviously had scored the European the, the goal in the European Cup final two years before. And Brian Loudrup, obviously, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll touch on Loudrup a wee bit in this episode. But Bolly was, was exciting the fans more at that point, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, and for me, uh, I think like probably the the one time when my relationship with Smith almost blew up, you know, was through Basil Bolly and and the the European exit at AEK Athens, mm-hmm. uh, and that was one of those you know the start of one of those years where they had a bad week, you know, where I think they lost to Falkirk in the CIS Cup, yeah, lost to Celtic in the league and yeah. lost to. Athens in the space of one week, all at Ibrox. Yeah. And it doesn't really happen very often that, you know, like three beatings in their own turf at Ibrox. And after the AK Athens game when they went out of Europe, I remember, and I spoke, I speak, uh, I've let it lapse a bit, which, like, given that I live in Canada, shouldn't be the case, but I've let my French lapse a bit. But I used to speak fluent French. I can still just about get there. If I, if I went to Quebec, I might manage. But uh, <laughs> I was. Uh, uh, so it gave me an advantage to be honest in the mix zone with the other journalists if they, they didn't speak French yeah. I was Bolly and, and uh, I pulled him aside and, and he said to me uh, come out to Cameron House come to Cameron House I'll give you a story I was like oh, sure no problem thinking to myself okay no problem so I go out where he was staying one of the lodges in Cameron House uh, and he absolutely slaughtered the tactics <laughs> slaughtered you know and it was like and that just never happened, right? When Walter was there, it never happened, you know? And it was like, uh, he said, why am I playing right back? I won the European Cup. He played him at right fullback. Yeah. I won the European Cup uh, at centre-half. I scored the goal at won the European Cup at centre-half. And I'm playing it right back, you know? And and then he said, and then then he just started on this incredible rant about why do I have to wear a tie to training? Why do I have to do, why do I have to shave? All, all, the, all the rules that were there in, in the old Rangers uh, culture. And then it was like, uh, and the tactics. And he said, what about the tactics? And that was one of those nights when he played big dunk out, out wide. Yeah. And said, we have the tallest outside left in the world. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. And I'm just like, honestly, he slaughtered it. And I was just like, and it was the early days of dictaphone squatting. I mean, yeah. I working, you know, I'm sitting looking <laughs> thinking, I hope this is working. And uh, I went back, transcribed it. And my sports editor, George Chain, uh, 
was a, was I don't think he'd mind mind me revealing was a, a Sunday night at the time was a Rangers fan. The editor Jim Cassidy was a Celtic fan, so I transcribed the the quotes and I showed them it. And, and honestly, I knew it was it was heading for the front page as well as the back page because no one but no one broke ranks and slaughtered Walter at that point. Yeah, and I was just like, wow. I wrote it, wrote the story. And Jim Casty, who was a Celtic fan and all that, he was loving it, you know. So he was like, I'm putting it on the front, but we'll get something on the front page, we'll get something on the back page. So it went about four pages or something, you know, four, three at the back, one at the front. And uh, and Walter lost it. Walter. <laughs> and I remember my, my mistake was not listening to Ken Gallagher, God rest his soul, who'd said to me, uh, if something like that's happening, you should let the manager know. Yeah. So he doesn't choke in his cornflakes, right? <laughs> and I got up, it was the old mobile phones, the half brick mobile phones. <laughs> and I got up in the I got up in the Sunday morning and I had my must have had eight missed voicemails from Walter. And the last one was just answer your answer your fucking phone and all that. And he was just he was just losing it. And I he says, You you better be in here Monday morning to see me. I know it's your day off because you're the Sunday papers. If you know in here, you'll never get a story of this club again and all that. And I was like, oh, right. <laughs> so I go in on the Monday and it's like, honestly, Scott, it was like Peter, the Peter, the old uh, commissioner. Yeah. I remember walking in and he, Peter was shaking his head and he's like, he says, Kingy, Kingy. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, oh, here we go. And I don't even remember the setup, but the gaffer's office was to the left-hand side and he came battling out. You, my office. And honestly, Scott, he was shouting in my face, right? Like, and I could feel the spittle off him and all that. And he's like, Basil Bolly, Basil, fucking Bolly. He's in the door two minutes. He's, you're his best pal and all that. He's, and he's, he's roaring at me, right? And I'm like, and I'm, I'm kind of going down thinking, defend yourself, defend yourself. <laughs> and I was just like, and I was like, you'll know my boss or something. I said something pathetic, like, you'll know my boss. He said, don't you start at me, I never asked you to talk, you know, and he's shouting at me and all that, and I'm going down the corridor. He's like, right, in my office, and I went and walked into his office, and he's like, he's like in fact, you're not even getting in my office, you're not even getting in my office, you're banned. And I was like, and I was like, Jesus Christ, I was like, and he's like, you're banned, go out of here. And I was like, and then I walked past, and it was a usual, I actually walked past Archie, I thought Archie was actually going to physically kick me when I walked <laughs> And he just went, and he says the same thing, he says, Basil fucking ball, you know, that, <laughs> that was it. And I went, I, I literally get thrown back out onto the street. I was, I'm, at this point, Scott, I'm 27 years old. I'm only just maybe one year into being a chief footballer. And I was said, I'm banned here, you know, and I can't go to the press conferences and all that. And of course, the gaffer thought this was brilliant. He's like, Yes, we can do a story, like get you looking all sad and all that. We took one of these pictures of you like, looking sad because you were banned and everything. And, and it went for like two, two, three weeks because of because of Bolly, and uh, eventually Walter brought me back in, and he did say, he said, if you if you'd had the courtesy, he said, yeah, tell me what was happening. I, I know you've got a job to do. I, I would have been fine with it, but you never. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lesson. I learned a lesson then. So that was me and Basil Bolly. To be honest, that was like Lovejoy never caused me any of the problems. Basil Bolly did. I I think it's quite to uh, I think it's quick to say that Lovejoy was there. The main signing at that point, Loudrop just hits the ground running straight away, doesn't it? Unbelievable. And uh, you know, I really, a, a class thing about, and uh, the, the current manager, when, when he came, uh, did the same thing. Loudrop gave me his mobile on the first day he came and he never changed it. Right. Never changed his mobile phone the whole time he was there. And, uh, and always took a call. And, and he came from like, Fiorentina where he had a bad, bad time. I mean, they were going to training in the trunk of the car and all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. They were in the boot and fans were waiting for them with baseball bats and stuff like that. 
and he'd been through all that kind of nightmare in, in Serie A, and and he just about came to the club, and you're just like, I don't remember slight doubts about it. You know, you, it's, it's unbelievable when you look and you think that Gascoigne was four point three, allowed up was two point seven. I think they came, he got Gascoigne allowed up for seven million quid. Yeah, it's just staggering when you look at it. And when Loudrop was like, Loudrop was just a fantastic player. And I think one of those things that you look at now, it's funny. I watched the game yesterday at Spurs, and, and you watch them in the tunnel. And you saw the size of the Spurs players. I don't know if you saw that those the tunnels are huge. Yeah. I just remember like when we met Loudrop, I had looked at him on, on TV and thought because he had that low centre of gravity, it was quite a he's six foot one. Yeah, they called it was it long body they called him? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. He's a unit, an yeah. absolute unit. And I was like, and obviously it was Harry Hollywood, wasn't he? You know, like yeah. every, the one thing I always thought about Brian was he was the one that every wife loved, right? You know. My wife would say, who, who are you interviewing today? I was like, oh, Brian. Oh, Brian. You know, he was, like, <laughs> <laughs> was just that, that guy. But, uh, uh, oh, unbelievable player. Just hit the ground running and he was he was up there. You know, I've always got that debate about who was the greatest player you ever saw play for Rangers. For me, it's Gascoigne, but but uh, and his peak. But but Loudrop was, <laughs> Loudrop was close. Yeah, absolutely. But that... 94-95 season, there's two disappointing cup exits. Obviously, we touched on the European, the Champions League exit, but 20, Rangers won 20 games that season and won the won the league by 15 points. I mean, if that doesn't show you just how dominant they are in the league, it's... But Haley and Loudrop, just obviously, the, they're the two special players for that season. Haley in particular just has an unbelievable season. Yeah, yeah. And I think like like that, like they're just, when you look at their, their pedigree, they've both done it in Europe. At other clubs, if you know what I mean, they both came from, you know, a pretty blue chip background as, as footballers, uh, class act. You know, both of them. I always found it bizarre that that it was the strangest uh, friendship, Loudrop and Gorham. Yeah. You know, it was, like, it was like 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 just like like loved each other, like just like brothers. You know what I mean? And 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 you couldn't get two more different guys. You know, like <laughs> I remember we went we went pre season to uh, Brian's. Home village, Esbjerg, in 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 Denmark, and uh, Gascoigne was there, obviously, and and Gascoigne won, I think, about a hundred or hundred and fifty quid off off Juki by betting him he could hit the hit the crossbar three times out of five from the half wheeling, <laughs> and he did it. And I'm sitting on a hill in this wee Danish village, Scott, in the middle of nowhere, in Loudrop, it's Loudrop's home village, and. Uh, the the third one he had two out of four, and the other two just missed by inches, you know, so they missed by inches. And the, the third one, he flicked up, caught it in his thigh, and then he had it in the half volley, and it was still rising when it hit the crossbar. And I'm looking at, like, from halfway, and I'm looking and I'm going, oh, just like, I've never seen that. This is, like, unbelievable. And the, the level of, like, the, 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 I remember Brian saying to me, like, with, with the drinking and all that, you know, and, and it was always exaggerated, that drinking culture thing, but uh, a bit. But he did say to me, he's like, he was like a two, two glasses of red wine with his dinner guy. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he's like, I can't go, I can't go for dinner with these guys. And I'm like, I'm done after like two drinks, you know. And and there's always that famous story. He did, and it's true. He left the goalie sleeping one night in his wine cellar, and he always regretted that. It cost him thousands of pounds. Like left him. <laughs> goalie woke up and he's got his wine cellar. You know, it was a great, it was a great, uh, a great enduring friendship. Those two, you know, when yeah. could chop. Yeah, absolutely. But the the kind of conclusion to the, the show here, what what when was kind of nine 
the thought of nine becoming a reality is it this is it the end of this season that it's becoming more and more realistic that yeah I think that one when it became what would it become then it became seven then yeah yeah six, seven yeah I think I think six but uh, Scott to be honest after the I think after like 90, 92, 93, people started kind of whispering about it, talking about it. Could this be a team that wins the nine and all that? And then when Loudrop came and Gascoigne was there as well, you know, you, you think, I think they'll always be disappointed by the lack of European impact. Yeah. With those players there, you know, with those players there, they, sh- they should have made more impact on Europe. But at the end of the day, at that point, nine became kind of all consuming and mm-hmm. winning it. And I know like people will always look at, you know, did they did they keep them around too long? Those players to win the ten, but their first, their major, their major mission was to win the nine. You yeah. know, like and I, I think at this point, then it starts to get, you know, people start winning. And you've got to remember, like, and people underestimate that now because it's twenty odd years ago or whatever. You look back and the pressure on them to win it was immense. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like like and in, in, in the end of the day, you couldn't have a bad season. You can't have like a bad start to any season. Celtic are starting to get better again, you know, like, you know, other teams are tooling up and all that kind of stuff. There's there's a lot, there's a little bit more money around in the game than there, than there is now. And there was pressure on them in every single game, you know, to, to just to keep winning and keep, you know, and get there. And and you'll obviously go on in the, in the next kind of episodes at the eight and, and, and nine, you know, like Gascoigne's, Gascoigne's influence on the eight was, was unbelievable, you yeah. know, I think Loudrop and Haley on the seven, uh, massively important. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, no, I think like I think it had started building after the 92, 93, and 93, 94 seasons. Then you started thinking if Smith is very importantly, if Smith stayed as manager, and if all those pivotal players like Gorham and Goff, McCall, Brown, McCoist, Durant, you know, Ian Ferguson. You know, all these players, if they were all going to stay around and, and, and then they were going to augment it with people like Loudrop and Gascoigne, then, yeah, then the nine might be on. Yeah. On next week's episode, we will take a look at the march towards the nine and we will also take a look at Paul Gascoigne signing and the, the impact that would have. Ian, I want to thank you immensely for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure and an honour to re- reminisce with you about the times. No problem. Thoroughly enjoyed that again, Scott. Good to, good to speak to you again, mate. All the best. Pleasure. Thank you very much. And thank you very much to everyone that's tuned in. Please join us on the next episode of The Rangers Journey.